You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Okay, welcome everybody. It's nice to see you. Um, so as you could tell from, uh, from the singing, uh, or maybe you could tell from the singing, uh, we are uh, sort of entering into the spiritual space of Hanukkah. Um, which, uh, with, you know, some of the tunes we use are, are evocative of, uh, of Hanukkah, especially the last one, uh, which is the tune of, uh, of a hymn called Maos Tzor, uh, which uh, uh, translates usually to, like, Rock of Ages, uh, and it's recited after we uh, kindled the Hanukkah lights and say the, the blessing over, the, over lighting the Hanukkah candles. Um, so I'm taking the spiritual space of Hanukkah, and, and you know, I think that, that what we're going to be talking about today, uh, even though it's not directly about Hanukkah, is, is you know, I think very much evokes some of the themes of, of, of Hanukkah, about uh, uh, what it means to bring forth light into the world, uh, what it means to be, uh, like the candles are uh, simultaneously rooted in, on earth and reached toward heaven, um, and, uh, uh, and so the Hasidic tradition sees each of us as symbolic, or, or he sees the candles as symbolic of each of us, that each of us, uh, as human beings, are, are rooted on the ground, but uh, always, at least in our souls, are, are reaching out toward heaven, reaching up toward heaven, constantly trying to ascend. Um, and so that's that. You'll see those uh, ideas and those themes kind of poke their poke their heads in here. So, what, if you haven't been with us, uh, we're studying a, an essay of uh, a rabbi named uh, Shalom Noach Berezovsky of Slonim. Uh, he uh, wrote a, uh, a book, really a collection of books called Netivot Shalom, uh, which means Pathways of Peace. It's customary in the Hasidic. Uh, uh, tradition that the Rebbe will, will write a book that is often you know sort of a play off of uh, his name uh, with uh, with biblical connotations, right? And so um, this one in particular, if you're kind of sensitive uh, to the Hebrew of it, uh, in the moment in which we in, on uh, 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 in a service where we read from the Torah, where we uh, put the Torah back into the Ark, uh, we recite a, a passage that says. Uh, Derachecha darchei noam v'chonetivoteha shalom. Right, that the path that uh, her pathways, the pathways of Torah, um, are pathways of pleasantness, uh, and all of uh, her ways are peaceful. Right, and so that's the play off of that. Netivot shalom, pathways or ways of, of peace. Uh, it was written in the uh, uh, 20th century. Uh, the son, uh, Reb Shalom Noach. Uh, also known as the Son of Rebbe, um, is a contemporary rabbi. Died in the in I think 2001. Um, uh, I'm actually I'm trying to use my uh, my, my Rebbe Reb Mimi Feigelson's language now about death, um, which is crossing over. He crossed over in 2001, um, so I have to remind myself to use that language. Um, and uh, uh, and so what I like about this text is that. Uh, I mentioned this the past couple of times that um, most uh, Hasidic works uh, are a not written by the uh, Hasidic master themselves or the Rebbe themselves are usually uh, written by students based on dictations from the Rebbe, uh, but usually those dictations were done over Shabbos, so they couldn't be written down, uh, and uh, so therefore were committed to memory by the students as they were being spoken, and then written down after Shabbos was over. So. Um, and, uh, and often, especially in earlier pit periods of uh, Jewish history, uh, the Rebbe would, would preach in, um, in Yiddish, but the student would then write down the sermon or translate the sermon into Hebrew or the teaching into Hebrew to record it into, in posterity in Lashon HaKodesh, in the holy language. Um, so, uh, so there was, you know, kind of a... a, a it's, <clears throat> it makes some of the... Uh, Older and more core Hasidic works of Hasidic rebbe's, uh, uh, like the circle of the Magid of Mezrich, uh, makes them uh, they're, they're very rich and they're they're extraordinary works. 
but a little bit less accessible. And so what I like about this is uh, the Sloan Rebbe uh, lived for much of his life in, uh, in the modern state of Israel, uh, and so new modern Hebrew, uh, and, uh, and wrote in a much more contemporary kind of Hebrew, even though there's some you know, Aramaic and, and yeshivish isms in there uh, as well. Um, there's no, like a lot of Hasidic works, there, there's no translation into English yet of Tivot Shalom. Uh, and so, uh, so we've just kind of been translating as we've been going on. I keep on meaning to like write up the translate, translation each week, um, but just like other things get in the way, and it just takes a significant amount of time to to do a good translation. And, um, and I, I feel like a bad translation is worse than me just kind of offering a translation and, and talking based on the translation. But if you need something, if you need, if, as we're going and translating, if you want me to go back over something, if I'm going too fast or something like that, just just stop me and we'll uh, go. Feel free to stop me at any point anyway uh, for questions or comments or thoughts of, of your own. Um, this is uh, intended to be uh, a little bit more of a conversation than a, than a lecture, but we'll base it off of the text. Okay, so the... The text is titled, the essay is titled, Avodah Shebalev Zotvila, uh, that, uh, that the service of the heart is prayer, or prayer is the service of the heart. And it's based off of a statement from the Talmud, uh, and if you remember from my sermon on uh, Kol Nidre this year, I'm sure you remember and think about it every day, uh, that uh, my sermon this year, I, I, I used that phrase from the Talmud as kind of the, the theme of the sermon, that uh, the Talmud says that... Um, that prayer is uh, the the service of the heart, or you could translate it as the work of the heart. Um, the the uh, uh, the Talmud contextually probably meant more like um, the sacrificial offering that is from the heart or within the heart, right? So, in other words, as something as opposed to bringing sacrifices to the temple, which is what our ancestors used to do as their form of prayer. Um, instead, now we offer our uh, whatever feelings or emotions are in our heart as our sacrifice to, to God. Um, so that's the title that, 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 he's, uh, that, that he's using, that prayer is the service of the heart. Um, and the, the whole uh, uh, essence of what we've talked about with this essay so far, the the point that he's trying to raise is this issue of kavana, uh, intention in prayer. So does anybody remember uh, who's been, who have been here the past couple of weeks? Uh, what, what are some of the things that we've talked about with respect to kavana that have come out of this uh, essay? What has what, what uh, Rabbi Shalom uh, been trying to convey about the nature of kavana, the importance of kavana, what's the relationship between kavana, intention, and prayer? Good. Okay. So, so the, the the central question he asks is, um, uh, what do we mean by intention, right? When we pray, is it is it you know I, I intend to be in a prayer space and so I show up to prayer, right? Is that enough of kavanah? Is that like, like I didn't just like stumble into synagogue accidentally, right? I went to or I didn't just open the prayer book accidentally. I didn't just you know is is just the very act of prayer intentional enough, right? Or is there a deeper level of intention? And then there are a few possible options there. You know, one is the intention of the meaning of the words, right? In other words, do I uh, have a sense of ownership over the words that I'm saying in prayer, whether they be my own personal words or they're the words out of the prayer book, right? Do I understand them? Uh, do, uh, um, uh, do, I, do, do they matter to me, right? Can I see myself in those words? Um, so that's one way of looking at kavanah, and I suspect that when most Jews who are, you know, who, who've ever kind of encountered traditional Jewish worship, when they think about what might be required of them in terms of kavanah, um, that may be what they think about, and that consequently actually may be uh, one of the challenges that a lot of contemporary Jews have with prayer, um, because they're praying praying in a language that most of them, for most uh, contemporary Jews, is not their native language. Um, and using uh, terminology and, and words uh, that were not written by them or not necessarily written with them in mind, not really written in a contemporary idiom, may have challenges even with the idea of God that's, that's reflected in those prayers. And so I, you know, I hear that from people all the time, like, what's the point of prayer if I don't understand the words or I don't really mean the words that I'm saying? Um, and so what I think one of the helpful things that 
Nativo Shalom offers here is that that's only one way of looking at Kavana, right? That's, on, that's only one possible way of approaching prayer. I mean, that may be a fine way of approaching Kavana, but it's only one possible way. Another way, he says, um, in a part that we looked at last week, so there, there are two uh, things he raises. He says, Kavanat perushamilot, shemotsimi piv betfila, right? So the meaning of the words that come out of your mouth during prayer, right? So whether those are the words of your heart, the words of the prayer book, right? So that's one way of looking at Kavanah. The other is, shechaven et libo sheomed nochach pene Hashem. Right? So that, uh, um, that a person uh, directs his or her heart, um, inclines his or her heart um, uh, 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 with the awareness that he or she is standing in the presence of God. Right? So that in and of itself, if you can get to a place, and for this, what we spent a lot of time talking about last week, if you rem- last month, if you remember, that um, if, if one can get to a place in prayer where one uh, feels acutely uh, that one is standing in the presence of God, uh, then no matter what comes out of his or her mouth, um, that in and of itself is kavanah, right? That in and of itself is, uh, is, is, uh, is proper prayer intention, um, intention enough to, uh, have, uh, to, to, um, to fulfill one's uh, obligations. Thank you, Josephine. Good, good morning, afternoon. Um, there, what do we got there? What do we got there? All right. I want to talk to you for Okay. Uh, if anybody needs something to nibble on or drink, we have something to nibble on or drink. Um, <clears throat> right? So, um, so that's another possible meaning of kavanah. Another possible meaning of intention in prayer is the awareness that one is standing in the presence of God. Um, and that's uh, what what uh, uh, what Rib Shalom uh, Noach spends most of uh, uh, the rest of this part of the essay talking about. We uh, we we paused last week, I think, at really the um, the the punchline of this section of the essay, and so that's what I want us to to uh, consider this afternoon. Okay, so I'm in the second column. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen lines down. Or maybe count up from the bottom. The first, the first, and it's like halfway through the whole column. So, is that, um, so uh, the first word in that line is achare, but we're actually um, going a few words in. That the word is vehabiur. If you know Hebrew, you can follow along. If you don't, then you don't need to worry so much about it because I'll, I'll be translating. Um, but everybody see who, who's able to find the Hebrew, see where I'm pointing to? Right. Okay. So here's what he's... So first, before I start uh, with this new material, does anybody have any thoughts or comments or questions on that introduction? On the issue of kavanah, of the uh, uh, two different ways of thinking or looking at kavanah that he lays out. Do you ever use intention? The way I was raised, we used to say our prayer intention is like, say your brain, I don't know, someone you know is sick. Mm-hmm. Our intention for our prayers are my intention is praying for. Ah, uh, so you would. This is the focus of my prayer today. Right. Okay. So I, um, I first of all, I think that that is. Um, uh, uh, I think of how I want to answer that. I think that that's um, certainly not alien to Jewish practice. Um, I'm not sure if it's. Um, it may just be another way of thinking about either of the way uh, of the approaches to kavanah that he lays out. So, for example, he says one way of looking at it is kavanah pirusha milot shemotzimu Right. So, if you set a prayer intention as to pray for somebody who's in need of healing, um, I mean, you know, that in that setting of that intention, uh, in this sense only works if you really mean it, right? Do I really mean that I care about the healing of that person? I'm, do I really have that person in my head? Am I really in my heart? Am I really holding uh, that person with me? But I think that that certainly fits into the scheme if you really believe it. The second is um, the assumption behind that 
statement of intent, right? And you know, and so if, if one of your assumptions behind that statement of intent is that um, you're um, you're standing in the presence of God, and God cares about uh, you, and God cares about that person for whom you're praying, and you're bringing uh, um, uh, awareness. Uh, uh, to God's presence about a person who's in need of healing, um, that I think fits into the second scheme, right? Of of having a, an awareness that okay, you know, what I'm doing here, you know, the, the import of what I'm doing here is standing in the presence of God, right? I can hold my, uh, I can, I can, I can think uh, lovingly uh, and wishfully about a friend who's in need of healing, but in this space right here, what I want to do is kind of uh, bring a more substantive awareness. Um, uh, of this, you know, if, if, if either depending on your theology to God or you know to uh, uh, to the to the cosmos, you know, whatever, right? Um, that um, uh, so I think that that it can't that thinking about intention in that way can fit into either of those categories potentially. I would like the words of my mouth, the Right. So, which which we uh, which we say uh, traditionally at the end of the Amida, which is interesting, um, uh, not at the beginning of the Amida. Um, uh, but yeah, I think that that's another statement. But again, only if you actually mean those words, right? You know, so there are plenty of people who, uh, I'm myself included, from time to time, who you know, because I like have the Amida. Uh, the Amida is uh, um, the the uh, central core of most Jewish prayer services. It's a, it's a series of, uh, depending on when it's offered, either seven or 19 uh, different blessings um, that's recited usually uh, standing up and, and privately. Um, you know, so because I know uh, uh, the Amida by and large by heart, and I, you know, like I have a sense of, you know, okay, I'm, I'm praying and I'm fulfilling an obligation and whatever. Um, you know, I, I utter those words, but I'm not positive. I always like mean what I utter when I utter those words, right? So I think that that if you utter those words and and you, you know, are uttering them with an again, it's it's it, it can plausibly fit into both of those categories, right? If you really mean, you know, like. Like I, I just offer, I just poured my heart out, and I like really want them to um, to, to reach God's throne. Um, then making a statement like that, knowing what you're saying, matters, right? Um, but then it's also possible that that uh, um, uh, that that even having the awareness of standing in the presence of God and offering words like that, um, even if you don't fully intend them in that moment, but but you know that you're in that space because. Um, uh, because it's a relational moment between you and God, then then it also I think counts as as kavanah. Um, yeah. When I learned about kavanah, it's exactly what you said that sometimes indeed you will be right there in the moment, and sometimes you're there because it's where you belong. Right. But you don't always have that strong feeling of kavanah, and we shouldn't expect to have it. Is the other piece of it all the time. Well, yes. Yeah, so I I agree with that. So the, here's the because uh, I I don't remember if you're at both of the last uh, couple of ones or you're at the first one. So the, right. So um, so one of the things that that generates this conversation is that there's a, a statement from Maimonides uh, that says uh, I gotta find the actual statement, which is. Um, uh, it's it's in the first first column first, column, first end of the first paragraph, right? Is that where you are? Um, I'm, I'm doing from memory. Ah, so I have a first column uh, end of the first paragraph. He says, "Kol tefilah bekavana Right? Any prayer that's not offered with kavana is not really prayer. Right? It doesn't. You you haven't fulfilled your obligation to pray if you haven't prayed with kavana. You see where I am? It's a, it's a, toward the end of the first paragraph of the first column. There's parentheses that say Sham Pei Dalid. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, right, so that's what Maimonides says in the fourth chapter of the Laws of Prayer. He says, any prayer that's not offered with intention is not really prayer. And if you prayed without intention, you've got to go back and pray again because you haven't fulfilled your obligation. Because prayer is the worship of the heart, or the service of the heart. 
right? And so if, if, if you didn't have intention, then it's not, uh, then it's not, uh, worship at all. It's not, uh, work at all. It's not sacrifice at all. Um, but then Rabam, then Rabam, right? So, so that's the, that's the counter argument to what you're saying, right? Is that, that, that there's an, that Rambam, it sounds like Maimonides offers an expectation that every time you pray, you pray with the proper intention. And if you didn't, it didn't count, right? Um, which is a hard, a high bar to set for people. If, if what we mean by kavana is that every single word that comes out of my mouth, um, it, it, uh, like I, I offer with the totality of my being, right? I like, I deeply mean every single word that I utter in the space of prayer. So if it means that, then it's a really high bar to set, but it doesn't necessarily have to mean that. It could just mean, right? If I, if I enter into the space with the awareness that I'm standing before God, then even if I don't offer, uh, utter every prayer with, with the, uh, understanding in the intentionality of the specific words that I'm saying, the general kind of feeling of why I'm there and what I'm trying to accomplish when I'm there, um, that's what matters more. So he says, he points out a contradiction in, my, in Maimonides' laws of prayer. And he says that um, Maimonides says, uh, um, uh, uh, do, 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 do. Uh, I mean, the next paragraph. Um, so he, the next paragraph, he says, right? The 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 um, the um, the statement of Maimonides is that if a person didn't uh, intend direct his heart, he should go back and pray. Um, right. So from the abruptness of his speech of, of his language there, it sounds like he's saying that that's a general principle in all of prayer. Uh, that, uh, that that kind of intention holds you back, right? In other words, it, it prevents you from fulfilling your obligation. Right? Because in another place in his laws of prayer, he wrote, and this is his language, Right, so someone who prays and doesn't uh, direct his heart should go back and, and pray with intention. But if he uh, had the right kavana in the first blessing of the Amida, he no longer requires that same kavana for any other blessing. Right, so in other words, um, more realistic. Right, more realistic. Right, so. So Nativo Shalom is saying, and Nativo Shalom is, by the way, a little bit more analytical than most, uh, than many other uh, Hasidic masters, which is also part of why I like him, because I, I love the Hasidic masters, but I'm also kind of like, you know, um, uh, a German at heart, you know, so kind of like, uh, and uh, uh, so like, you know, the, the rational. So he's pointing out this contradiction. He says, okay, so here's the deal, right? For certain prayers, and in certain instances, you need a certain kind of kavanah. But in general, the, uh, the, the kind of kavanah that's required in prayer um, is a more uh, amorphous kind of kavanah, right? A more general kind of kavanah, uh, which is not about the, the, the deep meaning, the deep intention you have in any given word that you're saying or phrase that you're saying, um, but, but the atmospheric kind of intention of, okay, what I'm, try- what I'm trying to do here is just be in God's presence, right? Uh, be, you know, uh, become, a, be, become uh, make, as uh, I think Heschel uses this language in talking about prayer, he says, to, to, to make ourselves, uh, uh, to bring ourselves to the consciousness of God. Yeah. Yeah, well, so what, what do you think that that uh, teacher means by prayerful? Uh, well, you're in working with God's creation, and these are living things that have life, right. and then, of course, the seasons of the year, but then I, I feel like it's a direct, like a more simplistic way of prayer and doing something, but not, you know, going at it real, a lot of force, right. just gingerly, 
doing things, you know, just in the backyard. If the birds right. are out there and you know, the fresh water and the bird bath, and it takes away a lot of the clutter from TV and computer, you know, and all that other stuff that we have in our brains and the cares of the day, and just kind of getting focusing on prayer. If something's on my mind, and so I think right, and so it, when we when we get to the the part where we are, I think that that very much touches on the same idea, right? Um, you know, if you if the, in the Hasidic consciousness, and I think that this is a really uh, sensitive reading of what Jewish theology is about in general. So it's not really, I mean, it's Hasidic because they're the ones I think most forcefully articulate it. Uh, but it's I think deeply Jewish in a non-Hasidic sense, that, um, that you know, we, we say, uh, milvado, right? that, that, that there's none other beside God, but also that uh, nothing else exists besides God. There's no place in the universe that's devoid of God's presence right? and devoid of connection to God, which means that, right, when I am cutting the grass and, uh, and you know, uh, pulling weeds and, um, you know, taking my kids to school, you know, uh, um, uh, wiping tushies, whatever it is that I might be doing, right? I'm always doing it in God's presence, and in a, and and it's always connected to God, even though I'm not always uh, operating with that awareness. And and it, and it may be that the point of prayer is to cultivate that awareness within us so that when we go out to do those other things, we are doing it in a prayerful way, right? It's not just that we go and we pray in a certain space. It's that we're supposed to live prayerfully, right? So so here's what, here, I'm going to go, I think that's a great segue into where we are in the essay. So now in the second column, what did I say, 19 lines down, three words in. Habior Bazet, the explanation of this, so the, the essence of the matter of prayer is connection to God in a high, on a high level, right? So that's the, the purpose of prayer, the essence of prayer, the, in, the point of prayer is to have a, a, a deep and abiding connection to God. Dvekut, um, uh, the, the modern Hebrew word for glue is devek, right? So that's the same root, right? So like a clinging to God, right? A, a, a sense of, I mean, that way, like always being in God's presence, a deep relationship, right? Um, you know, in the, in the same way that, you know, I can be um, apart from my wife, right? But, um, but, but I always kind of, you know, I'm never not married to her, right? And, and, and she's never part, not part of my consciousness. Part of that is I, I wear symbols of that. I mean, I do in Judaism too, right? I wear my tzitzit, uh, I wear a kippah, right? Um, you know, it, those are some of the, the tools we have to remind ourselves of that relationship. But it's in, in the same way, right? That, that, we're all, that we're always in that connection. So prayer is meant to, um, to, to deepen and cultivate that connection. That's the whole that's the whole point, right? So, which means, by the way, that, you know, if I have, you know, let's say there's, let's say there's a, a 5,000 words in any given prayer service. I just made that up a little off my head, although it sounds more or less accurate, um, that, that I don't need to mean any of them, right? I don't even need to really say any of them, right? I just need to uh, um, uh, 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 cultivate a sense in whatever way I can, whether it's in that prayer space, whether I'm praying on my own, or whether I'm meditating, whatever it is, um, a, a sense of closeness and, and, and connection to God on a high level. Um, and in that way, I think, you know, that, that, uh, that the prayer is not a, you know, time and space limited activity, right? I mean, I think that what, what he's offering is that, I think what he would say is, that the, the goal of Jewish life is dvekut, right? Is connection to God, right? Is, uh, is, is a sense of, of walking in the world as, um, I don't even want to say a servant of God, but as a part of God, right? Um, and that everything else around you is uh, of that, uh, in that vein too, is a part of God. God's image. Right. Right. right, right. What's that word, dvekut? Dvekut, yeah. Uh, I would spell it in English like uh, D. V E Y K U T. It translates as uh, as connection, um, clinging to God. 
No, it does. So a dibbik is the is the is the Yiddish version of the same root of being smarter. Dibbik is the Yiddish version of the same root, uh, and dibbik is something that is a spirit that clings to you, right? Um, everybody know what a dib- ever, ever heard of that term, a dibbik? So there's a, a, a an idea in in uh, um, Ashkenazi folklore um, of so it's sort of like a, a ghost almost um, that. Uh, um, um, like a poltergeist or something like that, um, or even, or even, I don't know. Sometimes it's often, sometimes it's used as like a, uh, almost like, um, like a, like, like being possessed by a, by an evil spirit. It can be right. Um, um, there's a play called Dibbuk also. Dibbuk, right? Um, D Y B B U K. I think. Um, so same root, same root. Um, Here's, he goes on. Ulachen matzinu bekitve ha'arizal. So we also found in the writings of uh, the Arizal. The Arizal is Rabbi Isaac Luria. Um, Zal is a, a zichron levracha, blessed memory, and he's he's known as the uh, Arizal. So Ari is um, Aleph is Adoni, uh, uh, um, Rish is Rabbi or Ad. All is probably Adonenu, uh, our master. Uh, Reish is Rabbeinu, uh, our, our teacher. Uh, the Yud is Yitzchak, right? Isaac, uh, and uh, Isaac Luria, uh, and Zal, Zichon Bracha, right? A blessed memory. Uh, so Isaac Luria, anybody know who he was? So Isaac Luria was probably one of the most, uh, influential, um, uh, Kabbalistic Masters. Um, so, in the development of uh, of, of Jewish history, um, in you know, in the sort of uh, uh, golden age of Spain, Spanish Jewry, and then following the uh, Inquisition, exile from Spain, um, there was a, a period of, of really uh, flourishing of of all sorts of things Jewish. Among them, uh, Jewish philosophy and Jewish mysticism. Um, and uh, among the great works of Jewish mysticism, uh, uh, the, the greatest is a book called the Zohar. Um, and uh, uh, the Zohar was uh, was uh, probably written in the in the 13th or 14th century in Spain. Um, and uh, and one of the greatest uh, uh, interpreters, most influential interpreters and teachers of the Zohar, is this uh, guy named Isaac Luria. Um, he really, I mean, virtually everything that we now associate as being Kabbalah is really Lurianic Kabbalah. I mean, there, there's some other schools of Kabbalah, uh, but, uh, and, and so almost all of the Hasidic tradition is an outgrowth of Lurianic Kabbalah. Um, so the Hasidic masters, uh, see him as like a, a really, you know, great saintly figure, um, um, so, but he predates the Hasidic masters by about 200 years, 150, 200 years. Predates this particular Hasidic master by about 300, 350 years. Okay. So, uh, so Isaac Luria says, uh, the Arizal says, She'al yedei ha-kavanot ha-kdoshot goram yichud vezivug elyon kudsha brichu v'shchintei. Okay, this is a video, you can tell that that's uh, um, uh, not Hebrew, uh, or some of it's not Hebrew anyway. Um, so what uh, Isaac Glory says that um, uh, by, by, by means of this kind of intention in, in uh, this holy intention, the sacred intention in prayer, it leads to the connection and unification, the supernal connection and unification of the holy blessing one and uh, and. God's uh, indwelling presence. Okay, that requires, I think, a little bit of explanation. Okay, so uh, uh, Lurianic Kabbalah um, has this idea uh, that um, that in in the creation of the world, uh, God, which is God, uh, which is uh, known in Kabbalah as Ein Sof, infinite. Right, God is infinite, no boundaries, no end. Uh, unknowable. Um, so there's a philosophical problem. Okay, how can the finite come out of the infinite? 
right? How can, uh, how can God, which is everything, create something? Does that make sense? Let me put it this way. All right, so this is uh, the work of uh, Gershom Shalom, uh, who is uh, the 20th century's foremost uh, uh, scholar in Kabbalah. He's no longer alive, uh, uh, but, you know, really kind of um, is the groundbreaker on studying Kabbalah, um, Jewish mysticism as an academic pursuit. Okay, so here's what he says, okay? Briefly, that the existence of the universe is made possible by a process of shrinkage in God. Luria begins by putting a question which gives the appearance of being naturalistic and, if you like, somewhat crude. How can there be a world if God is everywhere? If God is all in all, how can there be things which are not God? Right? In other words, like, how can there be you? How can there be me if God is everything? Right? How can there be um, a diversity if God is unity? Right? How can God create the world out of nothing if there is no nothing? Right? If God is everything, right, there is no nothing. Right? This is the question. The solution became, in spite of the crude form from which he gave it, of the highest importance in the history of later Kabbalistic thought. According to Luria, God was compelled to make room for the world by, as it were, abandoning a region within himself, a kind of mystical primordial space from which God withdrew in order to return to it in the act of creation and revelation. The first act of Ein Sof, the infinite being, is therefore not a step outside, but a step inside, a movement of recoil, of falling back upon oneself, of withdrawing into oneself. Instead of emanation, we have the opposite, contraction. The God who revealed himself in firm contours was superseded by one who descended deeper into the recesses of his own being, who concentrated himself into himself and had done so from the very beginning of creation. All right, so this is a, a, a termed in, in Lurianic thought as simsum, which means contraction. In order to create the world, God had to contract, God had to limit God's self. Right, which means that there is a, that, that God, uh, uh, let's put it this way, one is tempted to interpret this withdrawal of God into his own being in terms of exile of banishing himself from his totality into profound seclusion. In other words, the creation of the world required a separation of the infinite, unknowable, boundaryless God to the, uh, to the finite possibilities of the world and the universe. Right? And so in doing that, there's a separation of these two aspects of God, of the, of, of the limited indwelling of God's presence and the, and the, um, and the limitless possibilities of God. Okay? There's, it's more intricate than that because in addition to this idea of tzimtzum and Lurianic thought, there's also this idea of shvirata kelim, which means the shattering of the vessels, which means that in God's contracting, um, uh, what God did to create the world was pour out light, but that light was uh, unable to, the, the, the God created vessels to contain that light. Those vessels weren't able to contain all the light, so they shattered. Right? And then you get a concept, which is actually the origin of, of this concept, of tikkun. Tikkun haolam, or tikkun, which means repair, right? So the idea is that um, uh, that that uh, that that part of the work of creation is to uh, is to repair the very nature of existence, right? That there's a that, that the flaw in the very nature of existence is that there's a separation of God from God, of all from all, right? And uh, and um, and so what uh, what um, uh, Shalom says about uh, about uh, tikkun is um, is this the process in which God conceives, brings forth, and develops Himself does not reach its final conclusion in God. Certain parts of the process of restitution are allotted to man. Not all the lights which are held in captivity by the powers of darkness are set free by their own efforts. It is man who adds the final touch to the divine countenance. It is he who completes the enthronement of God, the king and the mystical creator of all things in his own kingdom of heaven. It is he who perfects the maker of all things. 
In other words, it's up to human beings to do this. Is what Isaac Gloria says. Um, he calls it Yichud v'Zivug Elyon The work of human beings is the unification and completion of uh, of the Holy Blessing One and God's indwelling presence. We're charged with putting God back together, right? Which is an act of putting the universe back, putting the cosmos back together, creating wholeness once again. Creating that's that's tikkun olam, that's shalom in in kabbalistic thought is putting the world back together, which is in part an act of uh, uh, in, its internal work, right? Which is sort of aligning yourself in the right way, um, which we do through uh, through the study of Torah and, the, and performance of mitzvot of of banishing um, uh, the. Uh, Negative forces are are yitzhara, our evil inclination of of uh, um, of transcending that aspect of ourselves and of um, uh, elevating the divine sparks that are hidden within creation, even in the darkest parts of creation. Right, so conquering some of those monsters, conquering the evil in the world, um, and and bringing out the light within it, um, and uh, and uh, and and. Uh, forging connection, a personal connection, a communal connection, a world connection uh, between us and God through those through those acts and through those deeds. Okay, and the and the um, and the central act of doing that, um, according to Luria, is through prayer. So again, I'm going to quote from Shalom, um, who says, um, who says this in Lurianic thought. Um, yeah, in Lurianic thought, these elements under the name of kavana or mystical intention occupy a highly important position. The task of man is seen to consist in the direction of his whole inner purpose toward the restoration of the original harmony, which was disturbed by the original defect, the breaking of the vessels and those powers of evil and sin, which date from that time. To unify the name of God, as the term goes, is not merely to perform an act of confession and acknowledgement of God's kingdom. It is more than that. It's an action rather than an act. The tikkun restores the unity of God's name, which was destroyed by the original defect. Luria speaks of the letters yud as being torn away from vav in the name yud heh vav which is God's ineffable proper name. And every true religious act is directed toward the same aim. So people who uh, uh, ascribe to, uh, uh, who, who are influenced by Lurianic Kabbalah, including many Hasidic traditions, before every ritual act in Judaism, before every mitzvah, including prayer, they will offer um, uh, the following intention, L'shem yichud kutsha brichu Right? I'm performing this act in order to unify uh, uh, the name of God and God's presence. Right? Um, we also do a, an, uh, a kavanah of Isaac Luria in our prayer on Saturday morning, which is, um, I hereby accept upon myself the mitzvah of my creator, love your fellow as yourself. Because in Luria and Kabbalah, that ethical dimension um, is central to this Work of tikkun haolam, right? I can't, um, I can't put God back together unless I repair the division between me and you, and me and you, uh, right? So, so the the uh, so again, so going back, Antivo <clears throat> Shalom says um, that uh, that this is the point of prayer. The point of prayer is uh, is this deep connection, this high connection with God. Just like Isaac Luria says, that the point of, uh, of intention and prayer, through connection and intention and prayer, um, we put God back together. We connect with God. Because in the workings in the lower realm, um, they arouse workings in the higher realm. Right? In other words, if we foster connection between ourselves and God here, then that arouses or inspires connections between the separated and different aspects of God um, that were that have been shattered in the supernal realm. It's sort of an inversion of the prayer that we offer, where we say, "O se shalom bimramav, huya se shalom aleinu." 
Right? We, we say, God who makes peace in the heavens, make peace among us and among all humankind, right? Which is, if you're from the Christian tradition, it's the same as uh, in the Lord's Prayer, or similar to at least in the Lord's Prayer, um, uh, uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? So this is actually the inversion of that, right? Thy will be done on heaven as it is on earth, right? In other words, when we make movements toward God in the lower realm, God makes movements toward us and toward the other aspects of God in the supernal realm. I think one of the prophets, draw nearer to me and I will draw nearer to you. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And in the language of, um, um, I think it's Menachem Mendel of Kotsk, but it might be um, uh, um, uh, uh, Simcha Bonam of Peshischa, who says um, uh, that where is God wherever we let God in, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, I think you're exactly right, right? The imat, here he's going to go on. The imat fila lemata. So if prayer in this realm, in the earthly realm, brings connection, clinging, and, and unification between a Jew and uh, his or her father in heaven, then it also will cause uh, unification and connection on high. And so this is what we mean when we say that prayer is the worship of the heart. Because when a Jewish person, um, he's using Jewish person because his audience is Jews. I don't think it only means a Jewish person. I think it means anybody who prays. When a person pours out his or her heart like water. I love that imagery. When a person, that's, that's the objective of prayer. I and mean, that's, Forget about what it, what the words are in the Sidor. The, the, those are nice. They If they provide you meaning, great. Um, you should still come to shul. But the essence of prayer is standing in the presence of God and pouring out your heart like water before God. Right? And that language is intentional because... Uh, an aspect of uh, of the sacrificial system was was pouring out water or blood or whatever it was or oil on the altar, right? And so it's it's making this connection between what was the avodah sheba mikdash, right? The the sacrifice, the the worship of the temple to avodah sheba lev, right? The worship that's in the heart, which is supposed to take place in the absence of the temple, and the and the work is the same, just a little bit more symbolic. There we poured out our water and oil and blood libations. Here we pour out the feelings of our heart before God. Um, and that's the essence of prayer. And by, by, by virtue of a person doing that, through that you uh, forge a connection and a clinging with the Holy One of Blessing. Right? And just, you should imagine it just like um, with a person in your life that you have the ability, the capability of pouring out your heart uh, to that person and doing that fosters a deep connection with that person. Right? Think about the person with whom you're closest, with whom you're most comfortable sharing like every aspect of you, your, your deepest fears and anxiety, your troubles and your joys, right? And how every act of uh, pouring your heart out to a person um, uh, brings you closer to that person. Um, might draw that person further away from you, depending on what's in your heart, but, uh, but, uh, but, but brings you closer to that person, right? In the same way, uh, we ought to conceive of uh, of praying to God, right? That uh, that pouring our hearts out to God, um, which is, I mean, and the amazing thing about that is you know, there's this great book that I can't recommend highly enough called Making Prayer Real by, by Rabbi Mike Coleman's. And I don't remember who said, because he quotes a lot of different uh, uh, contemporary teachers in that book, and I don't remember who who says this, but someone points out, and I, I even actually mentioned this to a certain extent in my, in my Kol Nidre sermon, on the subject, um, that, uh, that the, the whole premise of praying, uh, uh, to an all knowing God, um, is that there's nothing that you can say to God that God doesn't already know. Right. So that means that there's no embarrassment because anything that you can say, anything that's in your heart, God already knows it anyway. So it's just a matter of being able to 
open yourself, right? And, 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 and just being held, right, in that openness because, um, because there's no shame in it. Um, it's no, there's no secret. Um, so I just want to finish this paragraph and then, and then we can uh, uh, take uh, Mike Comins, C-O-M-I-N-S. Um, uh, can he dregata tefillah? That's the level of prayer. Shagam b'shi'ilat sarchav mitavek v'hashem u'margish ahavatoi barach alav. Right, that in, that in uh, speaking to God about our needs and what's in our heart, um, uh, it, it causes us to, to cling to God and to feel God's love. Right, uh, and I, I mean, I, I wonder if, you know, if you've ever had this experience in prayer where, you know, like you really, um, uh, you know, offer everything that's in your heart um, with, with, the, with the knowledge that the, um, that the listener loves you no matter what you say, right? And, uh, um, you know, and, and I mean, like, it, it, I, I have a few moments like that. They often are in the mikvah, which is interesting. We can pick that apart another time if you want. But um, where... where, where um, where praying like that, pouring out your heart, enables you to feel um, God's love in a way that, um, that 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 feels more real than you know in, in an instance where you're not being fully yourself, where you're not standing in the totality of yourself, where you're guarded, right? Um, and we, I mean, I see that in in our prayers all the time. I mean, I love David's phrase, like the frozen chosen. It's not here, only here. It's like everywhere Jewish, because like you know, we don't want like other people to like think we're weird, right? But if you go to like, um, I know you don't like when I use these analogies, but like if you go to a, um, you know, an evangelical church, like if you go to my uh, to like my favorite evangelical church in town, uh, Hope. Actually, right? I don't have a problem with it. Yeah. Okay. Good. We'll talk about right. It. <laughs> uh, right. I mean, like, like they, there is a culture. There's a culture where, um, like, emotional prayer, right, like, 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 visually, uh, like, outwardly expressing, you know, the feelings of your heart um, in a space of public prayer is something that, like, um, that doesn't get you askance gla- glances is actually something that's, like, um, celebrated in the community. Like, the, the cool people are the ones who are doing that, right? Um, but, like, I don't know, somehow in Jewish context, like, it stopped being cool to do that, and so now everybody's self-conscious, and, like, so, so like, kind of sits in their pew, like, like this, and, like, God forbid that there be an honest emotion expressed in, uh, in, in synagogue. Um, but, but that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is, like, the point of prayer is honest emotion, Right? If you didn't get to honest emotion, it wasn't really prayer. Um, right? The feeling that uh, only, uh, only God uh, wants to and can help you. Right. I keep thinking as I sit here, for somebody like me who, has, who is looking for a connection with God, this sounds great. What do you do with the Jews who either don't believe in God or aren't looking for that connection? Where do they fit in a minion? Where do they fit? How do you connect them to prayer? I'm not saying we shouldn't allow them in a minion, but why do you convince them they want to be? Right. Or why do you, what, what compelling reason do they have to be? I'm not necessarily saying forcing it, but what's the draw? So I'm not if we're if we're talking strictly from what uh, what Nativo Shalom is offering here, I'm I'm not I'm not positive there is right. The, you know, he's talking to a very self-selecting group yeah. uh, who've already bought into the premise that a there's a God uh, and b that God commands you to do certain things right and you know and so, we want to be close to God right uh, and we right um, and so uh, so he's trying to like you know, nudge them in a particular direction. Uh, I, I guess what I would say is that, um, you know, uh, that there's, there's a way in which, um, uh, therapy can be transformative for a person in much the same way. And, um, uh, and this is therapy free of cost and free of judgment. Right. So, um, uh, uh, you know, so, so, uh, 
prayer, in this way, whether or not you believe in God, if you, this is what I said in, in, uh, in that sermon, I said, like, you know, you don't believe in God, fine. Like, um, imagine you're looking at, uh, looking into a mirror, right? And, and asking yourself, like, um, you know, uh, am, do I like what I'm seeing? Am I living up to the ideal of what I can become? Right. And, um, and engaging honestly. Now, I don't, I don't think that that's a particularly like, um, uh, um, attractive thing either. Nobody wants to look into that mirror. Um, and I'm trying to parallel it with this theology here. Yeah. You know, you've got this theology of the whole point of this is to get close to God. So what's the point of doing these acts as a Jew if... Right, so I would say, I would, I would, I would phrase it a little bit differently actually. I would say that the whole point is to put the world back together. Right? And so if the whole point is to put the world back together, and you can't put the world back together unless you put yourself back together first, and that the, uh, that the act of prayer, it can be an act of, um, of, of, of self-completion that inspires world transformation, um, that I think is the hook. That, that I can see. We say your hand up. I was just thinking about the same thing. Yeah. That if you're, if you don't say connecting to God, you say connecting to yourself. We all have a true self where we find peace when we're living outside of how we feel, like in the presence of your true self instead of in the presence of God. Right. And then you connect more easily with the true sense of other people with the same result. Right. I mean, listen. You know, I think everybody has. First of all, I think even people who don't. Uh, believe in God, have a desire and a yearning for um, transcendence, a part of being, you know, being a part of something larger than themselves, have a, uh, have a need for uh, personal integrity, right? And, uh, and, and, you know, being attuned to, you know, who they really are and what their purpose is, right? And I think that, that, that that's what prayer in this framework is, is offering, right? In, in much the way that Lisa was saying. Good. But I also don't know that we can necessarily know what another person's intention is. Right. Even if it appears to to us, you know, that that there isn't. I, I don't think we can know that. Well, right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. I think that that's you know. Um, uh, um, the 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 purpose. You know. Is, um, there's a there's another sort of a parallel school of Jewish thought to Hasidut called Musar, uh, which is sort of like uh, ethical instruction. Uh, and um, uh, what's that? Not so much emotionality. Right. It's it's very it's 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 more rational and, and ethical. Um, and uh, one of the um, I can't remember which uh, um, which teacher it is, but you'll forgive me. Um, wasn't in my like wheelhouse of what I prepared today, but the, you know, he said like you know, typically when people think of religious people, um, they're uh, they're people who like uh, worry, or uh, most people are worried about uh, like um, what I put in my mouth, and um, and you know how you behave, right, or how you act, uh, you know, or how you worship, whatever, right, and. For him, the like the, the the pious life is worrying about how I behave, how you know how I relate to God, how I interact, and what you have to eat, right? Um, and you know what people out, right? What people who are staying with us this week have to eat, right? That sort of thing, right? So, so in the same way, I think that that's that that I think is a complementary idea to what's being offered here. This is, this is not uh, intended as a statement of judgment on other people's prayer practice, right? This is something about per, that's personal and internal. And when I say that, like, the, the statements about, like, God forbid, there should be emotionality in, in uh, a contemporary American synagogue, I'm not, I don't mean to uh, to be judgmental of anybody's personal prayer because people ex- express themselves in all, all different ways. But I, but I suspect, right, and this isn't a, a critique on any individual's prayer life, but I suspect that the reason that there's not um, spontaneous emotional outpourings in synagogue is, is because um, that's, that, that's not uh, how people conceive of what they're supposed to do when they come to synagogue and to pray, right? What people, I think, and I think part of that is the, the, um, uh, the way we reinforce that message. I mean, I think about how the room is set up, right, which I think, um, uh, uh, was set up at a, at a certain time where I think where what we most wanted to communicate was a sense of 
decorum because Jews are just like everybody else, right? Um, and there was, a, I think, an importance uh, to a particular time and place for that, right? But the it, but the the setting evokes a sort of like rigidity and formality, right? That doesn't um, that doesn't communicate a sense of like you know we want you to explore the depths of your heart here and um, and, and be free to pour out whatever whatever emerges for you. Um, so part of it is on is on us too. It's it's certainly a societal, right? We, right. Uh, I mean, listen, I mean, Americans are more emotional than, than some, you know, of our, I guess, European counterparts, but not as emotional as like, um, you know, people in like, you know, Middle Eastern countries, African countries, things like that. Right. Although, but remember that's where Judaism came from, right? I mean, Judaism came from the Middle East. So it's, it, 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 I think, uh, was born as, an emotional spiritual tradition that eventually got like a rational gloss on it. And the uh, Hasidic masters were trying to bring it back to uh, what they saw as that original intent. Right. But, you know, Judaism is always a combination, a synthesis between, you know, what has historically been part of Jewish tradition and the cultural context that's living out Judaism now. So yeah, I mean, I think that that's a big piece of it, right? Is um, you know, wh- wh- what's the soil that this is planted in? Um, so anyway, but my point was, that, you know, I um, I think that this is all like if you can get to a place in your prayer, everybody around this table, where you're approaching the the, the purpose of prayer in this way, right? That's the goal, not to uh, not to. Um, be judgmental of whether or not other people are reaching that point, right?